love a good fishing story. Or if you're like me, at least you like to tell good fishing stories. One of my favorite is this time. My family is up in the, the Rocky Mountains. We've been fishing all week long, caught a lot of fish. But as the week goes on, the fishing becomes a little slower, and so do my boys' patience. When we show up at the lake, they don't want to sit there for hours anymore. If they don't catch something quick, they're kind of done. So they start walking around the lake, and, and in this lake, it's, it's crystal clear that you can see almost all the way to the bottom, especially uh, near the edge there where we were standing. And Wyatt looks down, my oldest son, I think he's 10 at the time, and he looks down, and he, right there in front of him are dozens of trout, and one of them is one of the largest trout we've seen, a couple feet long. Uh, he starts sticking his bait right in front of him, and the guy's ignoring it. He's like, I don't want any of that. I've seen you guys catch fish all week. I'm good. I don't want that nasty old worm that you have. Take it somewhere else. And so Wyatt, he loses attention, and he kind of goes around, and he comes, he goes, hey, Dad, I got this knife, and I think I could stab that fish right there. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you're not going to try to stab that fish. And he's like, all right, Dad. So he walks away. And here's the thing about Wyatt. He's, he, he's a lot of things, a lot of good things. Uh, patient isn't one of them. I would say he's more tenacious than he is patient. So I know this conversation, it's not over. So he comes back around and he goes, Dad, here's the thing. That fish is really big. We're not catching anything. I'm pretty sure I can stab it. And I'm like, Wyatt, you can't stab the fish. And so he leaves. And this happens three or four times. And eventually, a couple hours into it, I'm done. And I, I'm starting to lose my patience now. And he's like, Dad, I could stab that fish. I'm like, here's the thing, Wyatt. Here's what's about to happen. You're about to go over there and try to stab that fish. And then you're going to fall into the lake. No fish, all wet. We're going to have to go back to our cabin and change. And our fishing trip will be over. And you'll be cold. And I'll be frustrated with you. Or worst case scenario, you stab yourself. We drive the three hours back into town to the hospital. And it ruins not just the fishing trip, but the whole trip. But if you still think you want to go stab that fish, go for it. And in that moment, it's like, cool, dad said I could stab the fish. Like, that's all he heard. That's it. So he goes over and and he lays down on the bank. And this part that he's on, the bank kind of goes over the water a little bit. The water undercuts the bank. And he lays on his belly and he waits really, really patiently. Maybe 10, 15 minutes in, his knife is held over the water just an inch or two away. And then all of a sudden, he, he pushes it into the water quickly. He doesn't pull it up and jab. He just quickly down. And on the end of it, you can see this large trout flopping crazy in the water trying to get away. And by this time, I'm bought in too. I'm like, dude is about to catch a fish with a knife. And so I'm rooting him on. I'm like, what? You got it. You got it. Make sure you keep hold of it. So he reaches down and he grabs it and he brings it up. And that was dinner that night. It was, it was a great story. Great fishing story. The, the thing about uh, good fishing stories is they are rarely about the catch of the day. That story is so much about Wyatt and his personality and who he is. Today, we're going to be getting into the book of Luke, and we're going to be looking at this fishing story, but it tells us so much more than just about the catch of the day. It's going to give us these, some essential, fundamental aspects of what it means to disciple people, the, the, the core of discipleship. Often when we, we hear this phrase discipleship, sometimes it could be a, a, a little amb- ambiguous because like it, it can mean two different things or two different thoughts. There's this, this thought as disciples that, that we are, are followers of Jesus. 
It's our journey following him. That was our entire message last week that Drew shared with us, that we imitate his life, that we submit to him. It's been called a pilgrimage or or a faith journey. My favorite phrase for it that I've heard it called is the spiritual apprenticeship of Jesus, to learn as he did. Discipleship also can mean, however, our activity and helping other people follow Jesus. And that's where we're going to turn to now and over the the next couple weeks of how do we help others follow Jesus? How do we help them mature in their faith journey? We're going to start to break down some of those key aspects and pieces of what it means to help disciple others. I think of it this way, every uh, Christmas, my, we make, uh, my kids, anytime they ask me, I'll bake cookies with them. And they know this, so four or five times a week, we're baking cookies all December long. And so if I weigh 15 pounds uh, heavier at the end, it's just love weight, it's okay, I don't mind, it's fine. Here's the thing about cookies, they're, they're, they're really simple to make. Somebody even like me that doesn't bake ever, except for during December, can make cookies. But while they're simple to make and there's only a few ingredients, those ingredients are essential to making cookies. Any of us that have made cookies enough and we've made them right, or especially those of us who have made cookies wrong, we know what happens when you leave something out, that it loses its flavor, it loses its taste, its vibrancy, It loses, if you miss too much, it stops being a cookie altogether and becomes something completely different. The same thing's true with discipleship. There are these essential aspects, these ingredients that have to be part of it, that without them, our discipleship is left weak, without flavor and ineffective, Today, we're going to begin to look at some of these ingredients and understand this one specific one, that discipleship at its core, as Jesus designed it, is relational. It's an essential ingredient of discipleship. Relationship is key. That discipleship is meant to be person on person, It's meant to be seen and did, not just learned about. It's been said that that disciples are are handcrafted, not just mass-produced. So today, we're going to look back at this moment of Jesus calling his disciples for the very first time. This is something that we actually started last week. Think of this today as part two of last week's message We will look at it, uh, the same story, but we're going to look at it from the account of Luke. Luke's narrative is is more vibrant and and fuller. And last week, as we looked at Matthew, we looked at the words that were used. Today, we're going to shift a little bit and not just look at the words that were used, but we're going to look at what was done, what began that day, how Jesus was intentionally relational And if we're going to help others follow him, relationship is a key ingredient to that. Join me. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. We'll begin reading there. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, 
to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, got it that time, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down the net for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have been toiling all night and took nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were beginning to break. They signaled to their partners in the other boat and they came to help. And they came and they filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down to his knees and he said, depart from me, for, who, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And, he, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they began to follow him. In our text today, Jesus is at the very beginning, early parts of his ministry. It all this beginning part gives us a glimpse at his priorities that he'll have over these coming years. Robert Coleman, in his classic, The Master Plan of Evangelism, speaking about this, uh, this verse, said, this immediately revealed the evangelistic strategy he would take. His concern was not with a program to reach the multitudes, but to reach men with whom the multitudes would follow. It all began with Jesus showing up in these men's life and inviting them into his. Our scene that we are seeing today, it takes place at a lake, on the the shore of it. Jesus there teaching one of his early sermons. Uh, Apparently there's already a large crowd that's been drawn uh, apparently, it sounds like they, they can't hear him very well, and they begin to push in closely. Maybe it's because of the number of people and, and the children talking and crying. Maybe it's the, the sounds of the water behind them, but whatever it is, they push close. In that moment, Jesus steps back into one of the boats that's there on the shoreline. Peter is kneeling down nearby, cleaning one of his nets, Listening to the the words that Jesus is sharing, Jesus asks him, push me out just a little ways, a a few yards as he does. Jesus takes a seat, a place of authority in that day, and he begins to teach. For Jesus, this is the beginning of something as it is for Peter. Peter and the rest of the the people that are on the shoreline, this is a unique experience. Never before had they 
heard somebody teach with so much power, so much authority, and they're drawn in as Jesus wraps up his, his message There are people waiting on the banks. Peter's in the boat with him. They're waiting to ask questions. They're waiting to meet this man they've heard so much about and now they've heard from. Instead of going back to the crowd, however, back to the many, he turns to the few. And in this moment, as Luke describes it, he turns to just one This becomes a critical moment in our story. It becomes a turning point in the life of of Peter. What Jesus is is doing in this moment is he is turning to one to make it personal. It becomes a key aspect of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because discipleship is relational, showing up in people's lives matter. Jesus makes it personal by showing up in Peter's business. See, this was Peter's business. This boat was Peter's boat. Fishing was Peter's thing. This is how he provided for himself and for his family. This wasn't Jesus's thing. This was his. Jesus has just stepped into Peter's world. He has just showed up in his life. This models something for us, this, this idea of showing up in people's lives because relationships matter. So often I think we're, we hesitate because we don't want to inconvenience or intrude in someone's life. There was this day or this time, if you're my age or older, you know about it. If you're younger, you probably don't, where people would just show up at your house. You remember that? Like somebody would just ring the doorbell and guests are here. And then if you didn't want guests, you had to hide. Like I remember my mom, she's like, I don't want to visit today. Get down, hide, shh, don't. Like you had to purposely try to be intentionally avoid relationships because they were right there at your doorstep. And today we have something else that's happened. We're so concerned with not intruding that we've completely stepped back and stopped showing up in each other's life. We, we have this idea that, that before I show up at somebody's house, I, I have to call. And of course, before you call, you have to text and make sure that you could call them that they're not busy and before you text, well, I saw on Instagram that I think they might be at the beach today, so, so I'll text them some other time. And so we don't text and we don't call and then we don't show up. And, I, and, I, and what I want to share with us isn't the, the need or the, the desire to, to go back to this different social construct in our, in our, in our society. What I want to share is that this is a call for us to live like Jesus lived to disciple the way he did, to show up in each other's lives. Because people need what you have. That's why Jesus showed up. Because we needed what he has. That the disciples needed the, the hope that he would bring. The, the good news that, that, that here is God among us and, he, and he's beginning his redemptive and restoration of this world. We have the same thing to offer Not that we are the good news or that we are the hope, but that we bring it with us as followers of Jesus wherever we go. And we bring it into the lives of others when we show up. And we say that that we know the way. And come with me and I'll point you there. Jesus in this moment is about to step into Peter's life and the lives of the other disciples. And not just for that moment, but for the years to come. 
He tells Peter, Peter, take me out into the deep. Peter goes, I, we've been fishing there all day. We haven't caught anything. And I could just imagine that he's beginning to think, Peter's beginning to think, Jesus, you did this great message. I have a lot of questions about it. You spoke articulately and powerfully. I've never heard a message quite like that before. Jesus, I also heard that you're quite a good carpenter. But Jesus, you're no fisherman. I'm a fisherman. And you want to tell me where to go and catch the fish. Imagine him just thinking this for a moment. I, I, I have a friend that I would say is a, a master fisherman that we, I like to go fishing with him because he tells me and shows me how to do it. I always say that, that he could catch a trout in a swimming pool with a shoestring. Like that's his kind of, that's the quality of fisherman he is. And when we go together, I don't tell him. I just watch and I learn. But not Jesus, not in this moment. Jesus with confidence tells him, take us to the, to the deep. Uh, Peter, he might not understand, but he obeys. He obeys what Jesus instructs him, and they go out, and he lowers his net. So often, I think when we don't understand, we're, we're hesitant to obey, but Peter does. He lowers the net, and maybe at first, just my imagination, maybe at first, nothing happens, and Peter starts thinking, oh, great, here we go again. All day, no fish, clean the nets twice now, and then all of a sudden, all these fish start filling up the net. So much so that Peter goes to try to pull it in and it's already too heavy. And so he calls out to his partners and says, come and join me, help me. Look at all these fish. And so they rush over to help. I think often when we look at Jesus, you know, we think of him as this stoic character that perhaps he's just standing there on the side of the boat and watching all this go down and, you're, and he's thinking, I told you you'd catch those fish. But I, I, I think that it's just as likely that Jesus is overcome with joy of the blessing that those fish are to those men, and he's joyfully helping them pull in the miracle that he's just given them, because he knows it's about more than just the fish, that that's going to start a trajectory in their life of something much bigger to come. And so they pull the fish in, and, and they get them all on board, and in that moment, it says that, that Peter falls down in front of Jesus on his knees and he worships and he repents. We've seen this scene before. Isaiah, he gets a, a, a glimpse of God. And as he gets a glimpse of God, he says, I am unworthy. And he falls and he repents in his presence. This is what's happening in this moment. Peter has fished these waters all of his life, all of his days. His dad had done the same thing. He knows that this doesn't just happen. And this man in front of him is who John the Baptist said he is. He is the Messiah. He is God incarnate, standing manifested in front of him. And in that moment, he recognizes his own sinfulness and he repents. Jesus, he, he looks right at Peter, I think deep into his being, and he says, do not be afraid. I will make you fishers of people. Matthew recorded this same account, this same moment, by saying that Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This invitation to follow was not a hypothetical one. 
He was literally saying, don't just follow my way, follow me, lay down what you're doing in this moment, we are going on a journey, come on. It was a literal invitation. Luke, in this moment, he doesn't share the words. The, the, the invitation to follow is just implied because what we read next is Luke says that they laid down everything and they began to follow him. They left their boats behind. They left their miracle behind. They left the, the thousands of, of fish that were sitting there on the shore that could have been a financial blessing to them. They left it all behind for the next three years, they would follow Jesus and they would learn as Jesus taught. Not just the words that he shared, not just the doctrines or the theology, but they would watch how he lived. They would see and hear how he prayed, how he worshiped God. They would watch how he interacted with the, the poor as well as the powerful. Jesus did not want to simply explain or instruct and teach, but he wanted to disciple in relationships. He wanted to show them how. He wanted them to eat with him and to work with him, to celebrate with him and to mourn with him. He wanted them to live life with him. It gives us this understanding of what it looks like to disciple like Jesus did, that in order to show people how, we must invite them into our lives that they need to see it modeled, not just told about it. I think so often we're, we're hesitant to invite people in our lives because we think that we don't know enough. Or perhaps we think that we're not good enough. I don't have it all worked out myself. How am I supposed to disciple somebody else? If we're waiting till we're perfect, we're gonna be waiting a long time. Peter wasn't perfect not in this moment and not when he was leading a brand new thriving church. Those people that we know in our own lives that discipled us, that told us about the goodness of Jesus for the first time and that have come alongside us since, none of them were perfect either. I, I think this thing, I think that we must, we must be before we do. I think that's true. That we must be followers of Jesus before we can help other people follow Jesus. That we can't teach something we ourselves don't know, or we can't give something that we ourselves don't have. But in this moment, where we're at in our life right now, we have all been given something. And there's somebody that needs that. And we can show up in their life and we can offer that. Here's the part that brings some peace to me, and I hope it does to you, that we're not making our disciples that we're not making our disciples, that we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to say, hey, I have it all worked out, and if you come follow me and do what I do, you'll have it all worked out too. We're making Jesus followers. We could say, I'm not perfect, but he's perfect. I don't know all the ways, but he is the way. And if you come with me, we're gonna follow him together. That's what it means to make disciples, and that's why we can give what we have and we don't have to always be perfect. Sometimes I think that we think that we have to have a big agenda or all the right words. Often we, we tend to overcomplicate what it means to invite people into our lives and make disciples. One of, the, uh, one of mine and Emily's friends, she disciples more young women, I think, than anybody I've ever met. 
primarily focused on those older high schoolers and into their college years. And I remember early on when we were trying to figure out what it looked like to disciple others, we sat down and we asked her and we said, how do you pour so much of yourself into so many lives? How do you find the capacity and the time to set aside to focus on them? And she gave us this really great answer that I've hung on to ever since. She said, I don't. I don't. I don't set time aside. I just invite them into my life. And then she goes, here's what it looks like. And she shared the story. And she said, for instance, when I need to go to Costco, I don't go by myself. I text one of these young ladies, one of my girls, and I say, hey, would you like to go to Costco with me? I need to go buy a bunch of stuff. And then I'll buy you a Starbucks afterwards. And then she said, you know, when I'm going down the aisles and, and, I, and, I, and I'm buying my 20 pounds of tuna and my 400 rolls of toilet paper, these young ladies, they're, they're telling me about the, the guys that they're interested in, the, the projects they're working on at school. They're telling me about their life and what's going on. They're telling me all about themselves, and I'm telling them all about Jesus. Right? So simple. And then she said, and sometimes I might be busy afterwards, and I'll drop them off at home after we grab a coffee on our way back to their house. And sometimes I'll invite them over, and they'll see how I parent and how my marriage works, and they'll see it, the imperfections in it. And in that moment, even with the imperfections, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. It's what it looks like to invite people into our lives. That sometimes discipleship is done over an open Bible in a classroom. But sometimes it's done at a Costco. Sometimes it's done in our living rooms. The important part is this. We talked about this a little last week. We're going to talk about it again this week. The important part is this, that we talk Jesus, that we make the word the center part of that, and we do it in relationships. That's why we believe so much here in life groups. We talk about them a lot because we believe that we can do this well in them that together we come together and we study God's word and what it means to our life and how we apply it to our lives. We, we talk about how Jesus, what he's doing in our life, and, and, and we have this opportunity to do it in community and invite each other into our homes and into our lives. Our groups are launching actually today and all this week, and I'm so excited to see how they're going to grow deep together and what God's going to do in this church and this season through those relationships that are being formed. Often when I think of, of, of community like this, of life groups, but just as the church of all of us, I have this, this image in mind that came from a story that I once heard on NPR. There was this, uh, this young lady that she had been the third or fourth generation uh, of foresters in her family. That her family for all those years would harvest trees for resources. And she wanted to be part of this family business, but her desire was, I want to be part of what they're doing, but I also want to be part of restoring the forest back to the, the, the beauty that they once were. Because what they would do, their family business, is they would go through and they would cut down all the trees and then they would come and plant all new young saplings with a desire that someday that they would grow 10 or 20 years down the road and be a beautiful forest once again. What she found was as they would plant these young trees, even 20 and 30 years later, they failed to thrive. And she began to wonder why, and she became a, a, a biologist and, and a researcher, and she tested the soil and looked at climate change and looked at the tree variations, and she just couldn't figure it out. 
One day, her, her and her family, they're out camping. And as they're camping, she, she needs to dig a hole. And as she digs a hole, she finds that she's only able to go a few inches deep. And the reason why is because in this mature forest, the root system of the trees was so dense that she couldn't go any further. And then she began to think, maybe it's that. Maybe I'm looking at it wrong. Maybe it's what's beneath the soil that matters. So she begins to research and she finds this incredible thing that in these mature forests that's filled with trees, what you would find is you would find young trees, medium trees, all the way up to these great, large, mature trees. And, and, and underneath the soil, these trees would interlock with each other. There's always this theory or this idea that, that nature fights for resources. But in this moment, she found that they were interlocked together. And even in those, that interlocking, that there was these small, tiny fibers that would go from one tree to another. And here's the incredible part, that they would share chemical compounds with each other and elements that would help them grow stronger, healthier, and help them fight off disease. It's incredible. And to me, as I, as I read this, there, excuse me, there's one other part I want to share before I move on. That in there, all the trees would contribute. These young ones, these medium ones, and these large mature ones. All of them sharing together for the communal good of the forest. And she looked back, she said, that's the reason that those trees didn't flourish, because they weren't interconnected. It's a picture of what it means to be in community together, because we were created for community. Because we are created for community, we are created for relationships, discipleship is meant to be relational and done in community. So what do we do with this? Where, where do we go uh, from here with this knowledge, this, this, this understanding of how Jesus discipled in relationships? The first thing I would say is, let's not try to follow Jesus alone. We were made for relationships and for community. We don't want to miss out that we don't want to miss out growing deep together and being intertwined together and holding strong, building each other up. We also don't want to miss this calling of ours to go out and make fishers of men, to go out and make Jesus followers, to help others mature and, and to follow our Savior. I think often we think this is something God wants from us. We become followers of Jesus and what he wants from us is to go out and to do this thing. I think so often we get that understanding wrong that he's somehow up there wringing his hands and he just goes, man, if I could just get Becky and, and Stephen and, and Aaron to start doing this discipleship thing, start going out and, and sharing my goodness with others, then everything's gonna come together and really work out. That's not it at all. He's saying that he wants this for us. He's inviting us into the, the family business of helping others know and receive his grace. A key ingredient to this, an essential aspect is relationship. That we show up in each other's life. That we invite people into our lives. So here's our challenge. We seek relationships to help others come to know the power of Jesus and to grow together. 
So as we leave here today and we begin to leave and go to lunch or wherever you're going next, and you go with your, your spouse or your friend, or maybe it's just you and a time to talk to God after this moment, ask this question. Who am I stepping into the boat with? Who am I showing up for in their life? Who am I intentionally inviting into my life? Being willing sometimes to share those flaws and share those brokenness. Just say, hey, come with me to Costco. Come with me into my home. Let's do life together and let's go strong together. That's what I hope we'll do as we leave here today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for sending your son. He is the Emmanuel, God with us, that you always meant for us to be relational, that we are made in your image as relational people. That community wasn't just, we're not just invited into it, but we are made for it. Thank you for making us to have community letting us draw near to each other and being strongly connected with each other. Help us do this thing to make Jesus' disciples in the Jesus way in a relationship with each other. Give us people in our lives. Help us identify people in our lives that we could step into their life and invite into ours. Amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.